you've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Father God, we pray that you would bless us as we root our lives in your word today. As this passage says, may the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Be with us in all that we do. Speak to us through your spirit now. We are listening, we are here, we are open to you and what you would do today. Amen. Amen. Sorry, I get, I get a little bit distracted when I read my uh, church Bibles at Mill East. We don't have... You know the references at the side where it points out all the other Bible references that relate? So sometimes I see a letter when I'm mid-reading and I I try and guess. I think, oh, I wonder what the allusion is to. And I get distracted when I'm reading. Um, I remember when I first started uh, working at a church called St. Barnabas. And I went to stay with this really, really lovely family. And had this conversation where they were trying to get to know me. I was trying to get to know them. And one of the first things that came up Um, we'd shared an evening meal together, was my vegetarianism. I'm a vegetarian and my kind of hippie leanings that I have. And um, (laughs) the daughter of this family said something that made me like laugh out loud and she she didn't get it. It was a really awkward moment. She said, the thing is, I like all that green stuff, but there's more important things than saving the world. And I thought, hang on, is there? There's more important things than saving the world. And um, I was thinking of that comment recently with the Extinction Rebellion protests. Have you seen them? Have any of you been affected by them or struggled to get into work or had had any issues at some point? The thing is, um, we're in this time of real mess, aren't we, right? Um, I'm sure you've probably heard a million sermons that mention the B word. Um, I'm sure you've heard loads of sermons that have spoken about different political leaders and the chaos and where society is. And in amongst all of that, there's these group of hippies, a little bit more involved hippies than I am, 
going, actually, there is nothing more important than saving the world right now. And one of the things that I found really striking has been the church's response. How do we respond theologically to such a crisis? A crisis in the world, a crisis in politics, a crisis in the environment. And actually, I just want to share with you something that I've been processing and working through, and something that I feel God has been teaching me through this passage, um, particularly about discipleship. It's probably going to pick up some things that maybe you've heard me speak about before, but hopefully um, shape it a little bit differently in a way that might be something we can respond to. And this week we'll unpack some of it. Next week I want to kind of dig into practically maybe what these things can mean. I think there's been <clears throat> three responses from Christians to, uh, to what's going on right now. And I think all of them are kind of part of the truth, but not the fullness of the truth. I think the first response is there are Christians who respond entirely with their heart. <clears throat> and they go, oh God, we just, need to, we just need to love you with our hearts. We need to meet with you in worship and in prayer. And then everything will change. <clears throat> and there's something really true and beautiful about that, right? God is the God of all the earth. He is sovereign. He is in control. We seek his plans. We seek his purposes. We cry out in prayer. But actually, there's something... Um, in a form of Christianity that is out there in the church that is actually a little bit too heart-focused in a sense of it becomes a little bit hedonistic. It becomes a little bit, I'm worshipping God for the experience of being loved, for the feelings that I get. I look around and I see churches that are full, that are big and bold and beautiful and there's something really kingly and godly about their expressions of worship. And at the centre of all that they do is music and prayer and kind of calling out to God and then we look at the crisis around and there doesn't seem to be a response and actually sometimes we look at the people in those churches we look at ourselves when we go to these churches and conferences and events and we go and we have these incredible heart experiences where we where we meet with God and we know his love and then we go out and actually it doesn't lead to the change in the world that we'd like to see in fact, some of these churches, I think, we can get so caught up in worship. And you know me, you know my heart, right? You know I'm a worship leader. You know that I love leading God's people in worship. But actually, there's a tendency for us to be great worshippers and rubbish disciples. For us to be really, really good at singing songs and not really bearing kingdom fruit. There's a second response that I see some of the church making to a crisis and it's to go with your head <laughs> it's um this focus on getting doctrine right and actually um just as politics has become a bit of a nastier and nastier debate theology has kind of become a bit the same and that's really hit home to me recently when a really prominent um more liberal voice in the world passed away recently and some of the backlash on twitter on kind of both sides pushing certain theological agendas has been really, really strong, has been really aggressive. There's been a whole thing that I've discovered that, thankfully, I think is more of an American thing than an English thing. This whole movement called Exvangelical uh, and Empty the Pews, and people go into war through social media with the church for some of its theological positions. And it happens just as much the other side, just as much people who maybe are anti-liberalism. And I think back 
uh, being in a reformed church like we are, I think back to the early reformers and how much they love to debate and pour over the scriptures together and argue their different viewpoints and opinions. And we're lacking in that so much. But actually, this head response becomes a little bit escapism, where people are so busy trying to be the doctrine police, trying to get things right, that they're not actually saying anything to the world. They're too busy telling each other off in the church. And again, you know my heart. You know I'm a teacher. You know I love the Bible. You know I love study. But there's something that when you just focus on that, that kind of misses the point a little bit. And again, we see people who are information rich, who know more about the Bible than any generation ever before, who can actually just whack into Google and see anything that they want to see from the Bible and put information together. And yet, when they go away from their Bible studies or when they leave church on a Sunday, they're fruitless. We're not seeing Christians bearing fruit in a world in the time of crisis. Or there's a third group, those who focus on their hands, those who focus on justice, on charity, on mercy, on reaching out. And we see that. That's a really prominent part of the church right now. That's actually part of the church that gets reflected the most in the media, right? The media loves to talk about food banks and English language classes and all this stuff that we love to do as, as Christians. But actually, we're seeing Christians more and more step up and become an extension of a broken welfare state without seeing huge moves of God in our church. Every single revival that we can think of that has happened, particularly in the West, particularly in the UK, but I think across the world, every single revival has featured a movement of justice among the poor and a movement of holiness in the church and people coming to faith in Christ. And at the moment, we seem to have the first without the second. We seem to have increased more and more and more in what we're doing in the world, but actually all that's happening is people think Christians are nice people and don't think that there is a God who loves them and who wants to be involved in their life. Do you think they're okay characterizations of the church right now? They're strong, right? And I look at all of those impulses and I see them in myself. So I'm preaching to myself today, right? I'm preaching to myself who gets lost in worship, who gets lost in reading the latest theological books, who gets lost in charity and justice. <clears throat> Actually, that desire to love God with our heart, with our head, with our hands is a biblical urge. But whenever we focus on just one of those, we end up becoming misshapen disciples. Yeah? If my hands grew to being twice the size of what they are, I wouldn't be able to do twice the work. I'd just be, I'd be deformed, right? I'd need help. I'd, if my hands literally doubled in size right now, I would be off, I'd be going to A&E, I wouldn't be preaching anymore. And it's the same like that in our discipleship. Actually, we become misshapen disciples. We focus so much on enjoying God with our heart. We focus so much on getting to know God more with our mind and, and searching and discerning him. We focus so much on doing things for God that when we go off in one of those areas without the others, we become, well, in my experience, we become two things. We become unsure in our faith and we become unfruitful in the world. And more and more in this age where Christians are able to enjoy the most beautiful musical worship, right? There's, we've never been more rich in terms of worship, right? We've never been more rich in terms of teaching and podcasts. And you can, 
you could stop listening to me right now and download some world-class teaching on your podcast or some sermon from, a, from an, an amazing teaching pastor and probably get more out of it than you would from me. In this era where the church can mobilize and use its resources more than ever, actually, I keep experiencing Christians who feel unsure of their salvation, who aren't sure, who are desperate, who are going, well, everyone else seems to be getting the feels right now. Everyone else seems to be getting goosebumps in worship, and I'm not, therefore there's something wrong with me, and feeling anxious and bound up, or people who are just unfruitful, who I look at them, and they're so effective in the church. They can even be beautiful worship leaders and, and church leaders, but what fruit is there in their life? This isn't about earning salvation. This is about expressing the kingdom. Yeah? Well, this passage speaks to that a little bit. Seek things above. You might know some of the other translations that say, set your heart on things above. Set your mind on things above. Put to death these things that you did with your hands and put on the new self and do these things with your hands. But there's a little something in all of them that I think maybe we've lost a little bit in the church. It starts off, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. If you have died and been raised to life with Christ, if you've been through that process of dying to live, set your heart on things above. Actually, before we come to enjoying God with our hearts in worship, there's that process of dying of abandoning ourselves and allowing God to raise us up anew. Set your mind on things above, Paul goes on, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. Again, set your mind on things above because we have gone through that journey of death to life. And then it's explicit in that final bit, put to death all these things. Put to death all these different actions you can do. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. And that starts off and you go, oh, hang on, I'm not any of those. And Paul decides, let's just make sure we get everyone with this. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Lying to each other. And put on the new self instead. Which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Jesus said in John 14, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it won't bear fruit. And I think one of the things that we have at the moment is discipleship without death. Discipleship without death. Where are we truly dying to ourselves? Where are we truly giving up? Because actually when we think about worshipping God and experiencing joy in our hearts, when we think about um, growing in head knowledge, when we think about our hands doing loads of amazing things for God, actually they're things that build us up, that feel good. But God is calling us to death. God is calling us to something else. And I think the journey of discipleship that doesn't come through death is what we're looking at. It's fruitless discipleship. It's sterile discipleship. It's disciples that don't make disciples. And you've probably heard me speak about this a lot of times before, but one of my favorite questions to ask Christians is, who are you discipling? Because if you're not discipling anyone, 
you're not a Christian. To be obedient to Christ, to be obedient to his commandment, is to be someone who goes and makes disciples. You don't have to be an amazing evangelist. You don't have to have a count in the thousands of people who've responded to your appeal from the front. But you do have to be journeying with people and speaking life and faith and Jesus into their life. And that comes through death. That comes through sacrifice. So then Paul carries on. Above all these, put on love. Above all these, put on love. And then he reframes that heart, head, hands in a way that I think is helpful for us to really rediscover the goodness in those things we spoke about. Is to rediscover those things in the light of death to, into new life. Is to rediscover those things in a resurrection power sort of way rather than a fleshly, earthly power sort of way. And I think he speaks about those three things in these ways. He speaks about experiencing love through the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. The peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. That's not the sort of thing that our world is experiencing. But it's a beautiful thing. It's a contentment. It's a joy. It's a rest in God. That is far beyond a really nice feeling when we sing the latest worship song. Allowing the peace of God to sit on the judgment seat in our lives and rule is a beautiful thing. So we experience the love of God through this peace ruling in our, our hearts. Then Paul talks about exploring the love of God, I think, through the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. And actually, in, interestingly, it's in this part that Paul then talks about singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts, a teaching and admonishing each other in wisdom. It's, it's not us trying to root ourselves in knowledge. It's not us trying to fill our heads with something. It's not about what goes in the top. It's about us dwelling richly in the word of Christ. It's about us being planted in something rather than us taking something in, if that makes sense. It's a bottom-up kind of thing rather than a top-down sort of thing. And actually, it's that sense of being formed. We become what we worship. We become what we worship. We actually become a little bit how we worship too. But we'll dig into that maybe a little bit more. And finally, expressing love. Above all these, put on love. And then Paul says, whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus. And that's been something I've been really challenging myself and my church about, that we do loads and loads of big community stuff. We're a real community church at Mill Hill East. But actually, if we're not careful, we end up becoming the sort of church where people think, oh, wow, that Josh is really nice. Or that, I'm trying to think of a name that isn't someone in my church. Sarah, she's really nice. Oh, Sarah really loves me. But they don't know that God loves them. Unless we do it in the name of Jesus. Releasing people, setting people free, loving people, welcoming people, showing radical hospitality and generosity in the name of Jesus, under no other name. So where are you today? Where are you today? Unless a seed dies. I was thinking about those three things and I was thinking... Um, of an analogy that we could use. I was thinking of a plant. 
as we're thinking of seeds and reproducing and, and being fruitful. And I was thinking that experiencing the love of God, that's like the water and sunlight that we need to flourish. And what are the water and sunlight for us? I think it's to do with the spirit pouring through our lives. That's how we experience the love and the peace of God. When Jesus pours out his spirit in John, he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. It's a word of peace that he speaks when he gives his spirit. And the sunlight, I mean, that's about orientation, right? That's about the direction that we're facing. That's about our openness to God. We experience the love of God through our openness to him. When I think of exploring the love of God, it makes me think of the form and the shape of the plant, the roots that we dig down, the soil that we're in, the parts of us that need pruning or adding to. What are we rooted in? What are we rooted in? Are we rooted in the word of Christ? Is it him, the word that is Christ, that we are rooted in? Is our identity found in him? Is our purpose found in him? And expressing the love of God. I think if we have plants, that's the part of us where we flower, where we reproduce, where we play our part in God's beautiful garden, his kingdom, what he's growing, what he's doing. I think all of us quite naturally probably relate to God more with one of those. We might relate to God most with our heart or with our head or with our hands. But the challenge is to bring all three of those together. And I think when we do, when we, when we rest in that identity that we are chosen, we belong, we are rooted in him, and he has appointed us to bear fruit and fruit that will last. When we are growing as disciples in that way, I think we will have something to contribute to a messy world. So we're just going to respond to that word um, with a song, with some worship, and we're going to see what God wants to say to us as individuals, and then we'll pick up on it again next week. Does that sound okay? Why don't you stand? I'm just going to pray for you guys.